So today we had a guest that needed to reschedule. We thought, well, the show is called Ask. Let's do a program where we just allow people to ask us whatever is on their mind. AMA for Dr. Kelly and myself. Uh, yesterday we had Michael Sanger in there. I heard rumor that we may have some special guests coming up on the Twitter spaces as well. We'll keep an eye out for them. I don't see them in the audience just yet. But reminder that if uh, you do choose to come up and ask questions by raising your hand, you are agreeing to stream out on multiple platforms. It's Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Rumble. And um, it's all live, and we'll get it started. Uh, I, I love I love the cartoon. I love Caleb's cartoon on how to join the spaces. It's so good. Because uh, I'm not exactly clear necessarily how to do so. And there it is, right in that, right in that cartoon. So let's get to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And welcome, as I said, we're out on Twitter Spaces, and we'll be watching you on the restream, and of course, Rumble Rants. And uh, Caleb, I hope I'm not bum-rushing you with this, because I asked Susan to get this information to you. She turned my mic off, so I couldn't talk to you in the preamble, the run-up to the show. But uh, I want to bring- He's yelling at me. I couldn't hear him. I want to bring- I was. Yeah, I don't understand why she couldn't have heard me yelling, but uh, I would like to bring Kelly, Kelly in right here now at the beginning. I don't know what you do with- There she is. I don't know what he's going to do with the little video uh, welcoming you. Maybe we'll just play it anyway, but thanks for joining me right from the start. That's okay. Hey, no, I'm happy to do a, it's great to do an all call uh, in show once in a while. So I'm sorry that uh, yeah. our guest had to reschedule, but this should be a good, good opportunity to take some good questions. Yep, I agree. Before we get into the calls, I want to tell you something, uh, give you a little review of what happened yesterday with Michael P. Sanger. Do, let me see mm -hmm. if he's here. Do, do you know who Michael is? I, I do. I do. And uh, hopefully he was exposing a lot of the corruption uh, and malfeasance that's gone on at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party, if I know him. Yes, the, the snake oil science is his book. And, and I, but it was more than that, because as always, when I interview people that are sort of um, extreme in their positions, let's say, um, mm -hmm. I learned something from him. And mm -hmm. I began to think from talking to him that the pandemic planning event 201, the big conference, yeah. uh, literally mm -hmm. two months before COVID broke out, had more to do with the extraordinary measures which were immediately contemplated and the acceptance of those, what's that, Susan? Oh, she's talking to Michael. And acceptance of those measures by essentially pandemic planners and public health officials around the globe. I couldn't understand how everybody would take something right. that had never been contemplated before and grab onto it. Also, not only were they sort of primed by that conference, the people that went to the conference were sort of evangelists. They were like going to save the world from the next pandemic. And they had a really tight relationship at the conference with their Chinese counterparts without understanding the differences with which the Chinese Communist Party 
would apply some of these things. Is this is this helpful? Is this do you think this is an interesting uh, interpretation? Yeah, well, I think what you're what you're describing, Drew, is that the pandemic itself was fundamentally choreographed. Uh, it was scripted, and they practiced it ahead of time. That's what that conference was. That was them practicing the steps, the routines, every single component of it, from the musical score uh, to the actual text and narrative. Uh, they they practiced it, and they did it over and over again, and then they rolled it out to see there was a dress rehearsal, uh, and then ultimately the rollout. And we have lived it. We have been living this uh, hell for the past three years, but this was heavily scripted. And as I said, I don't believe that the word choreographed is too strong. And it absolutely um, was done at the behest, I, I believe, or at the uh, directive, perhaps the, to, to continue with my, uh, you know, with my example here, would say that the, the producer and the director of this show was the Chinese Communist Party. But it, it, you know, when I, I, I was talking to him, hopefully he'll come into the Twitter spaces, he'll get him up here, but it, it wasn't as clear cut uh, that they were going to go all the way with some of these draconian measures until the Chinese convinced them that this was the time and look how well it worked. It had been sort of loosely talked about as social distancing, mm -hmm. I guess, in the mm -hmm. conference, which is, again, something they made up during the conference. And, and or had been talked about a little bit a couple of years before, right. but nothing that's really a meaningful, you know, a, a phrase. Uh, but it became total and absolute abject lockdown because, you know, it, Caleb, put the put the picture of the uh, snake oil book up there again, because the, at the time, at the, at the behest of Xi Jinping, the Chinese Communist Party, that that yellow line under uh, Chairman Peng, Jinping there, is the that was the incidence of COVID in Wuhan until the straight line across until the supreme leader put in a lockdown and that was the flat line that occurred allegedly throughout China not just in Wuhan but right. throughout China right. while right. by the way the rest of the world was having outbreaks all over the place this was insanity and they believed that graph yes Exactly. And that was that that's what it was. And when you read the the book, for example, uh, by Deborah Burks, and you listen to people who actually were there, whether it's Paul Alexander or people who were there uh, in the White House at the time that these decisions were being made, it's very clear, Drew, that part of the way that they were able to affect this was by convincing people that the Chinese party, the Chinese have it figured out. And we really need yes. to, to follow their lead because they know how to do this. Now, anyone with a lick of common sense, let alone uh, you know, a medical degree or a science degree behind their name, should have taken one look at that graph, at that trajectory of COVID uh, deaths and or COVID cases, whatever, and said, well, that's absolute insanity. Uh, and as I've said yeah. from the very, very beginning, and we should get into this a little bit, I don't know if you've ever spent any time in China. I've spent a lot of time there. And part of this um, issue is because of the incredibly divergent cultures that we have uh, mm. in terms of what they see as acceptable, the way they manipulate their people and things of that sort. There are things, you know, you cannot understand the pandemic if you look at this through Western eyes in the same way that you can't understand, uh, you know, jihadism or, or different cultures. If you put your mind just through Western eyes, you have to look at life the way they look at it. The Chinese have no regard for things like 
intellectual property. There is no concept in China of a patent. For example, you cannot own an idea in China. Uh, there are things that are very, very different uh, about the way that they manage their culture, their society, their businesses, and their relationship certainly with the government. So it, it was easy for them to enact uh, things in China that would normally be impossible for us to do in a free society, uh, certainly in the United States. But by acting as if they're doing this under the guise of the public health, uh, we were able very quickly, uh, they were able very quickly to get people to hand over the reins to their civil liberties, absolutely abdicate all control over their lives to the government uh, in the United States in a way that was previously, frankly, unimaginable. Michael Sanger is actually up at the podium right now. Michael, there you are. I think so, I'm doing. Michael, the next thing I was going to tell uh, Dr. Kelly was Wait, about the. I don't think the, he's in here. Can you hear me okay, Michael? Yes, sir. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Hear you. Got you. I was going to tell Perfect. you about the Italian, the Italian public health minister who shut down, uh, was it Tuscany or whatever that region was, Lombardy, and what his proclivities were. Yeah, so that's a fascinating story in itself. So before that lockdown of Lombardy, Italy, that happened on February 21st, 2020, and before that lockdown, you could really, I mean, there was virtually nobody in the entire world who was talking about actually bringing China's lockdown policy to the rest of the world. I mean, that idea was just non-existent. Uh, the World Health Organization actually did not endorse China's lockdown policy and give their imprimatur to it until a few days after uh, Lombardy, Italy went to lockdown. Um, so, you know, how did they even get that idea? And it turns out that if you go back and you, you know, look at the records, their health minister who really uh, imposed this decision uh, and he makes it clear in his book. So his book actually, he put out a memoir about his experience um, leading during COVID and, you know, uh, imposing these policies and his decision making. And it makes it very clear that he knew at the time he was doing that, he was adopting the policy that only China had done. But this book, which he published this towards the end of 2020, it's actually only out for a few days. And it's, it's actually pulled from all the shelves in Italy. It was so embarrassing and so damning because what comes out of the book is the guy just doesn't even care about COVID. So here we have the person who imposed the free world's very first lockdown in the entire world when you could probably count on one hand. I mean, there were just tiny, tiny, just like a tiny number of individuals, probably less than five individuals who are in the entire world who were talking about actually bringing China's lockdown policy to the free world. And yeah, suddenly Lombardy Italy just does it. And the guy who made that momentous decision, which set the precedent, you know, every single leader around the world and every country that came after that cited the lockdowns in Italy as a precedent for, okay, this is not just a Chinese policy, the policy in the free world. But the guy who made that decision was actually this fanatical leftist uh, <laughs> health minister who didn't seem to care at all about COVID in his book and all he cared about was bringing these far left policies to Italy. He was part of the, you know, young socialist alliance within Europe. Um, you know, very fond memories of being this, uh, you know, far left socialist figure growing up and just had all these really, you know, far left visions about how, you know, we mean more communitarian society, you know, just, <laughs> it's all the, you know, old school communist propaganda is essentially what he's writing in his book. I mean, the epilogue 
He talks about his vision. I mean, it's just It sounds like you're reading Karl Marx. The guy is just a fanatic. And, and you know, in the background, it's like, oh, so by the way, that you know, this is all because of COVID. And we were told the story is that this guy was so panicked that he made this, you know, panic decision to import this policy of uh, lockdown for China. Oh, that's regrettable. But he was so scared at the time. But the guy didn't even care about COVID. All he cared about was his far left policies. The, he had an opportunity okay. to do that, Michael. On Event yes. 201, did anybody talk about lockdown during that that sort of rehearsal at Event 201? No, not specifically. It was an extension of this pandemic planning industry that had been doing these simulations uh, year after year, and the idea of social distancing came up in that sort of pandemic planning industry. Mm. Um, and, but these were all, you know, voluntary social distancing measures. Just uh, the idea that, you know, people could, you could advise people to keep their distance, keep their space if they wanted to. But it was vastly different from the lockdowns that actually got imposed across the free world, which were, you know, mandated by law. They actually shut down this by law. That was never discussed. It was ruled out emphatically as being um, a terrible idea in every pandemic plan. But those pandemic plans... Uh, when the time came in 2020, we were simply tossed out for these lockdowns. It, they had absolutely no precedent within the modern Western world. They had no precedent in any pandemic plan. But using that precedent of, you know, the World Health Organization saying, you know, what China has shown, you have to do this. The idea that Italy made the decision uh, became a precedent one by one, you know, like dominoes. Every single country in the world shut down. Italy? I mean, uh, I, I, Kelly? I, I, yeah, well, I was going to just point out that with regard to this social distancing issue, uh, the way it was discussed at that event, at that white table or whiteboarding event um, that happened just prior to the uh, the announcement of the beginning of the pandemic, is social distancing was very different there as well. It all of a sudden became codified as this, well, it's well known and well established that, you know, it's this six feet and you need to have, you know, people going one way down the aisle in the Walmart and, you know, plexiglass shields and <laughs> All of these things, it took on a life of its own. Craziness. Uh, and not only, as, yeah. I, as I said, was your social distancing was made up from the very beginning, but then it became codified as if it was some, you know, well-established scientific construct uh, in public health. And everyone's throwing it around and children are screaming six feet safe, you know, and the absolute just... Uh, it was ridiculous. You know what, Kelly? Uh, someone on Restream, Stephanie on Restream, uh, said something funny. She said lockdown was a prison term, and and shelter in place right. was a nuclear warfare term. So they adopted right. yeah. these extreme yeah. language to scare the shit out of right. people. Right. Right. Yeah, it was all no, just a scorched earth tear campaign. And Kelly is absolutely right mm -hmm. that this idea of social distancing is complete pseudoscience. And that's a fascinating story in itself. Is that you're right, right around right. this um, time that pandemic planning, the inception of that idea, that was around the early 2000s, they come up with this idea of social distancing. If you trace the origins of that, we get, we get in a sort of semi-official story in the New York Times, and there was a book by Michael Lewis saying how, oh, it all came out of this little girl's science experiment, right. her little science project. Green. Yeah, And that sounds so stupid, it's like, oh my gosh, like our government actually did that. They did all this damage because of the science experiment. It turns out that story is just a cover story. It's not real. It, social distancing, they, they claim that was the origin of social distancing, but social distancing was already in the CDC guidance a couple of years before that. And where did that come from? It all came from China's lockdown during SARS. SARS-1. Social distancing is actually just a copy of China's lockdown policy during SARS-1. They just gave it a Western name. 
And so they invented this entire field of pseudoscience, which, you know, people seem to generally take seriously and become evangelists for this idea of social distancing. They never actually used it in the modern Western world in practice. They had no idea what was actually going to happen. And that's why it became so comical and silly when it was actually put in effect. Didn't but Paul then, Exa- so Alexander, why, wasn't he the one that said that they made it up and they said, well, let's just make it six feet. And then nobody knew what it would actually mean yeah. because it was just as vain of pseudoscience. But it's no accident right. that you have that sort of, you know, you look at that and you see, OK, well, I can see how they were panicked. They took this idea of social distancing, which is an actual scientific field, even though it was kind of silly. And that since they were so panicked, it became lockdowns and mandates. Well, it's no accident. Because that entire idea of social distancing actually just was a rubber stamped version of China's lockdown policy from, you know, 15 to 17 years prior. And then prior. Kelly and Michael were banned from Twitter for right. shouting off the rooftops and saying this is BS and boom, they were off. And Michael, yeah, yeah and I said Michael, it from the you, very you, beginning. As you say, Drew, that I pointed out from the very beginning, I said, I, I challenged people. I said, look, I, you know, I'm sitting in an entire, my library, you know, of books on epidemiology, pandemics, uh, you know, uh, public health, infectious disease, whatever. And I say, I defy anyone to come and pull a book off the shelf in my library and find the term social distancing in the index. It, you know, I mean, it, it, truly, I mean, and, and this included, you know, yeah. I, I did my, my training in public health at Harvard, the Harvard School of Public Health, and places like Harvard that you would have thought would have been spoke, speaking up, instead were jumping on board as if this is an entire uh, scientific construct. And I you know, had half a mind to call them and say, gosh, if it was a, really a, a verified scientific construct, why didn't you ever mention it to me in any of my classes there? <laughs> right. You know, maybe, maybe you should have mentioned it. So that's a ridiculous story as well. Social distance is actually a negative sociological term or discrimination. That's actually where it comes from, from 100 years prior. They used it as a very bad thing for the social distance around somebody when they're discriminated against. And they took that sociological term, and the guy, um, Richard Hatchett, who this book is about, about the origin of social distance, actually says that. He took a sociological term. Oh, I just took a sociological term, and that's what I named this idea of separating people. Wow. Of course, he doesn't talk about the fact yeah, that it was just rubber stamp from China's worse. lockdown policy. Oh, my God. Wow. Michael, yeah. you you've been writing about excess deaths uh, during during the COVID outbreak and since, and right. that is something that needs to be explained. Uh, John Campbell did a, a a little YouTube video today. I think it's out. Maybe it was out last night, uh, where he is showing some footage from the uh, English Parliament, the British Parliament, where they're con- they're hammering, you know, for for information. And they're getting from the MPs, essentially, yes, we are concerned, too. We'll, we need to look into this. We agree. But nothing. What, what, oh, do you, what, what, is the, what do you imagine the story is there? I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And these are, again, non-COVID deaths. And they've shown, I'm sure you have this data, too, very clearly it's above and beyond being explained by lack of follow-up because they've been able to show it in populations yep. where there has been more than adequate follow-up. Oh, yeah, far above and beyond. So what happened is we now have, you know, evidence, just mountains of evidence from all over the world that this virus is circulating all over the world by fall of 2019 and probably long before that. So it's circulating everywhere. And it wasn't really causing a serious amount of excess death, um, you know, over what happened in prior years out of sync with what you would expect during a bad respiratory virus season. This was a bad respiratory virus. There's no question about that. So it was causing some excess deaths. 
But what we see is that in a country like Sweden, which imposed very few lockdowns and mandates, they actually had the lowest excess deaths of any country in the OECD, of any uh, wealthy nation. So simply by doing nothing, they had the lowest amount of excess deaths. So where are those excess deaths coming from? They're coming from the lockdowns and mandates themselves. That fact is corroborated by the fact that these excess deaths, and the New York Times actually admitted this um, quietly, they acknowledged the study that showed this, these excess deaths are not in the elderly people who are at most risk from this virus. They were very, very disproportionately among young people who have virtually no risk from the virus. So these excess deaths were due to stress caused by the lockdowns and itself. That is further corroborated by the fact that these excess deaths do not begin until right after these big cities, such as New York and the cities in northern Italy and other major metropolises like London, right after they impose these lockdowns, that's when they get these huge spikes in excess deaths. It's right when they impose those lockdowns, which are just so destructive, so you know horrifying for the public, they cause you know surges in all kinds of mental health and, and physical health related issues. Not only that, but also taking the ventilator guys guidance from the World Health Organization, which was implemented at the exact same time. Mm. It turns out, we now know, that those ventilators uh, resulted in 90, those who were put on ventilators who are 65 or older, had a 97.2% chance of dying. Mm. To put that into perspective, I, if you were not, for patients over age 65 who were not put on ventilators, had were 26 times more likely to survive if they were not put on ventilators versus if they were. Is extraordinarily deadly policy, and that resulted in a lot of those surge in excess deaths that we saw right after lockdowns went into effect. Kelly? Uh, well, what I was going to say is, and as you know, Drew, my tagline from the very, very beginning, from uh, second week of February of 2020, was the virus is real, the statistics are not. Um, I think it's going to be extraordinarily difficult, unfortunately, yep. to really ever get our arms around the exact number of people who truly died from COVID. Excess deaths are attributable to many things, including you know, absolutely what you're talking about here, Michael, amongst younger uh, people, but also there's a, a huge component that would be attributed to lack of care for other things. For example, the number of people who didn't get routine care for things like diabetes and heart disease and those sorts of things. The number of people who delayed screening exams and therefore presented initially with relatively late stage colon cancers, breast cancers, and those sorts of things. There's a component attributable to increases in substance abuse and depression, um, particularly in, in young people, overdoses. Uh, there's a huge issue related to therapeutic nihilism. The fact that we, many of these people who were claimed to have died of COVID undoubtedly died of bacterial pneumonias that weren't treated. They went into the hospital, they had a swab shoved up their nose, they tested incidentally for COVID, and their bacterial pneumonia was considered to be a COVID pneumonia. They never received antibiotics. Um, you know, Drew, you know that the standard of care is for elderly people in particular to get antibiotics within an hour of hitting the ER if they have a pneumonia, because time to antibiotics is a critical predictor of survivability. So many of these people died of routine bacterial infections that would have easily been treated by the appropriate antibiotic therapy. But that, uh, therapy. that, that smacks, 
I, I'm not surprised by that because it smacks of how things have, were so centralized during the outbreak, which was exactly you know, if COVID thus saith the Lord how to treat it, and that does not include right. antibiotics because antibiotics doesn't make COVID better, and so they miss. Right. I could see how they could miss things. It, ma it makes perfect sense to me. Huge number, but, right? But, but, so but, I think there's so a, both you, know, you guys. Both of you give you a chance to answer this. Why is it continuing? And yeah, maybe even accelerating. And why, why are we vaccinating young people with well, it? Hold on, it's a different matter. But but <laughs> but, but why do we think this? Well, we get Michael a chance first. Michael, why does this? Why is this going up in in the face of the lockdowns easing? Because it's just uh, the so so. I think the effects of it are just so vast. Um, you know, especially the economic damage and the psychological damage are just so continuous for everything we saw. And all, you know, really began with those initial lockdowns. I mean, just extraordinarily psychologically damaging for people because the vast majority of people did support this response, this really draconian scorched earth response in the very beginning. And that led to everything that followed, this years we got of these strict draconian mandates, you know, we had the mask mandates, we had the vaccine passes, things got insane for a while. And I think we're now just grappling, you know, the bill for that is coming due. The Federal Reserve, I think, offset it mm -hmm. for a long time with super low interest rates. And now we saw the economic effects of that. We're seeing inflation. Mm -hmm. We're seeing, you know, banks going under. People are starting, I think it's starting to dawn on people, you know, how damaging this was across the entire country. And also that, you know, so much of it was just based on lies, just based on an absolute lie. Michael, it's extraordinarily difficult for people to deal I with. I wonder if you can build a mathematical model of some type where you show increased uh, death rates amongst prisoners in isolation and overlay it over the population, somehow create a model that yeah, shows right. that there's some right. sort of correlation between uh, prison isolation and social isolation uh, as we had it during the lockdowns. So, um, well, I, Michael, we, we got to get to some... Yeah. Let me just throw in there. I think you cannot overestimate, or I should say, excuse me, underestimate uh, the the uh, power of the financial incentives uh, that that were for hospitals. You know, at the time, hospitals received a significant increase in reimbursement if somebody was admitted with a diagnosis of COVID and a huge amount, $37,000 on average per patient if the patient was deemed to have died of COVID while in the hospital. On top of that, uh, enter remdesivir. Right. Medicare paid a 20% premium on any patient admission if they were given remdesivir during their, their uh, admission. So there are huge perverse financial incentives for these different healthcare institutions uh, to continue. You asked, why is this continuing? Because the dollars are really, really intoxicating. On top of that, you know, you add this whole control feature, the fact that, you know, there's a lot of control. Control itself uh, is is very, very intoxicating, and there are people who don't want to give it up. Uh, and then you layer on top of that the issue that for physicians in particular, a lot of physicians and uh, people at the helm of this debacle are having a hard time acknowledging that they were duped. Uh, it's pretty tough if you bought into this ridiculousness and you were one of those people who removed every other chair in the waiting room of your clinic uh, or made people wear masks or all of this absolute insanity to now say, turns out I was duped, I was a fool, uh, I bought this stuff hook, line, and sinker. So people just say, well, I'm just going to continue it, just, quote, just to be safe. I'm like, to be safe from what? You you know, rather than saying, I was wrong, this was silly, and I shouldn't have done it. Well, 
you're right. And, and but Michael, the the pushback I get, I, I meant to ask you this yesterday, is when you go when you say you know this was all you know made out of whole cloth. It was all non-science, not even pseudoscience. It was strictly non-scientific. It was out of panic, and they used extraordinary measures that were damaging and dangerous. The pushback I get, yeah, they were trying to save lives. Of course, they were going to they were going to save a million people. How can you get mad at them for wanting to save lives? What do you say to those guys? My response to that is, if you talk to, you know, any dictator in history, every dictatorship in history will say that they're motivated by saving lives. They say that all these are all exceptional emergency measures that they're implementing. Of course, they go on indefinitely. They're meant to save lives. It's the only legitimacy they can give themselves that these, you know, they're taking away your rights. Yes, they're breaking all the rules. They're, um, you know, implementing all these emergency, you know, supposed emergency measures. They're throwing out science um, completely. You know, like you said, it's a complete inversion of what actual science is. They threw out the real science and uh, took these mandates and lockdowns, which had absolutely no basis and no precedent and no place in our pandemic planning or in, um, you know, Western public health guidance or epidemiology. And called those signs. Oh, this is completely so. Complete I, I, I would even say more so. It was clear these measures weren't doing anything. I'll, I'll even concede weren't doing much, and they were doing lots of harm. It was super clear. And instead of examining, reassessing, adjusting, and by there, by the way, at the same time, there was evidence accumulating in places like Florida and Sweden that an alternative, I mean, it was a case study that they could look at, but as opposed to studying these things, adjusting course, they became draconian there in their crackdown on any alternative measures. And that was un conscionable. Yes, they made mistakes. Yes, they were trying to save lives. But look to the lengths they went and look at the damage they did. That's the part that's that actually, I'm having trouble with. That's well, we also right. had the early guidance that came from the World Health Organization, we know is just in many ways the exact opposite of what they should be doing. You know, the ventilators, they said we're going to save lives. Instead, they just, um, you know, they killed people. Uh, and, the lockdowns, they said that it was necessary. And again, to, they made a mistake. Yeah. I get it. People make mistakes. Adjust course. Don't, look at the sending opinions. See what's going on. Try to figure this out. Instead, crushing alternative opinions. Talk about ant. That was the most anti-science part of the whole story. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, what they but, did was censored those who actually had the courage to defend real science from the pseudoscience that they had simply imposed. It was just a complete inversion of what real science was, complete inversion of what truth was. And these see with 10, over 10,000 employees, instead of standing up for our, you know, um, our history of epidemiology, the wealth of epidemiology, epidemiological knowledge that we developed over more than a century, they took that pseudoscience uh, that was given to them by the World Health Organization and defended that pseudoscience against those who actually had the courage to stand up and say that, wait a minute, this is not what actual science is. It is not helping people. All it is doing is causing catastrophic, indefinite psychological damage. And all it succeeded in doing is convincing people that there was a super pandemic, that convincing people that the virus was hundreds of times deadlier than it really was, as the average American said in polls. Um, and that just caused these mandates to go on in perpetuity. There was psychologically 
self-perpetuating. Yeah, when people, people see those were, masks were, everywhere, when people have it, bought into lockdowns that did so much damage, they have to believe there's a super virus out there and they just keep doubling down and doubling down. And our institutions completely failed, and our leaders especially, to have the courage to stand up to the, against that narrative. And so what they did is embraced that Orwellian, totalitarian, destructive narrative and actually fought against those who were trying to, you know, talk some sense to them. They were only capable of doing it. The only reason it was ultimately successful, however, I believe, was because they were very good at engaging the mob. They got the mob, they got the average person to be to do their dirty work. They they you know ran up the social justice flag, uh, you know, and they got and people are out. You may recall. Every, all the mainstream media was out there talking about how, you know, rat out your neighbor. If your neighbor has more than two cars in front of his house at Thanksgiving, you know, call the authorities, you know, call people out. And you saw, you know, video after video of people being accosted in the grocery store for not having their mask over their nose or for daring to do something. They engaged the mob. They engaged the average Joe citizen to become the brown shirts. Without the brown shirts, we could have had a chance of standing up, but it was neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother. This is this was the tactics that they employed had fought, would not have been successful, I don't believe, had they not had the mob, meaning you know the vast majority of the population, helping to support their dirty work. That's exactly what it was. The only thing these policies succeeded in doing was creating a cult. They told people that cowardice was actually courage. They told people that they told people that their own lies were science. That you know, real science was just following orders, um, and that you know, um, actual science needs to be the actual scientific process is anti-science and needs to be censored. And they convinced people um, that the people who are actually brave enough to stand up for this stuff were the enemies. That is Michael. Uh, they people their own friends and family were the enemies. Michael right? Sanger speaking to us from Twitter Spaces. Uh, Caleb, put his book up there and maybe his uh, Substack uh, address if we have that. He's on Twitter at Michael P. Sanger. It's E N G E R. And your Substack, Michael? Uh, Michael P. Sanger. Substack.com. And it's, you know, funny. I really wasn't aware how brainwashed the public had become until I got a bad case of COVID. And every single person, non medical person, who talked to me said, Were you scared? Were you scared? I thought, why would I be scared? My, I really, I was confused. I was like, this has a 1% fatality rate in my age group. Right. And, I, and I thought, well, if I needed hospitalization, that would put me into an 8 to 12% maybe, and that would be a little different. But if I can stay out of the hospital, it's a 1% fatality rate. When a doctor tells you you have a 99% chance of survival, he or she is telling you, you will survive. There's no survive. doubt about it. 99%. We never say 100% with anything, but we will say 99%. And we mean uh, essentially 100% at that point. Right. So we got to take a little break here. Um, and I guess we're going to, Caleb, are you going to be able to disconnect Kelly's reintroduction at the end of the uh, little break? No, it's, it's fine. It's a nice no. little introduction. Okay. It's good. <laughs> Kelly will have her own introduction again at the, at the, at the end of this little break. And Michael, are you willing to, st I don't, we're going to take calls after the break. I don't know if the calls are necessarily going to be all on this topic. Are you willing to stick around? Absolutely. All right. Let's, uh, I'm going to put you on hold in the meantime. Well, I'm going to keep you out there. Let's get to some break and be right back with calls. 
I think you know how much Susan and I love our GenuCell skincare and how easy it is to try our one-of-a-kind customer packages bundled with our favorite products. Susan realized the other day that one of our kids stole some of our deep correcting serum from our stash, if you will. We had no idea that the lactic and hyaluronic acid combo is so great for adult acne, dark marks, and scars so not only are susan and i hooked on these products but apparently somebody else in our family is too somebody's ripping it off i know i'm a snob about the products i use on my face everybody knows it every time i go to the dermatologist's office they're just rows and rows of different creams retinols vitamin c cream under eye cream night creams scrubs and then when i get to the counter they're overpriced all kinds of products that you can all find at genucel.com i've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using Genucel for six months now, and I'm very impressed. Great skincare is important at any age, and we love how amazing the results are. Thank you to Genucel. Plus, now you can find your very own bundle based on your unique skincare needs using cutting-edge AI skincare technology. You can get a full skin analysis instantly and create a skincare regimen tailored towards your needs. Visit genucel.com slash Drew to check out our favorites and enter that promo code Drew, D-R-E-W, at checkout for added savings. All orders include free shipping and a free mineral mask. Order now. Go to genucel.com slash Drew. That is genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, genucel.com slash Drew. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group now through March 31st. They will ship you a free safe directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. And you've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H Gold, birchgold.com slash D-R-E-W. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise, for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs, cats, even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the Inforce Plus Corollius Versicolor and Inforce Corollius Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it. When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me, you have two years to live. Oh boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex, went, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> he came right. Oh, there he is. They are also made with the Coriolis Versicolor Mushroom 
which supports their immune system, according to hundreds of clinical studies. Here's Kristen Ludlow, National Vice President. That strain does matter. We do have the most potent strain, and we also extract it in a proprietary way. And that's why we've been having such wonderful experiences with these products. Mush puppies are made here in the U.S. There are no fillers. It's non-addicting. Your dog can't accidentally overdose. Go to drdrew.com slash petclub247 for discount off the list price. That is drdrew.com. P-E-T-C-L-U-B-247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. Uncharted territory we have been addressing today. Uh, Michael Sanger is with us at Twitter Spaces, as well as many other uh, have raised their hand there. So we're going to bring as many as you possible up. And this is Health Uncensored. And then unmute that mic. It has a weird way of remuting. Hi, Dr. Drew. Hi, Dr. Kelly. Hey there. Hi. Hi. My question, Dr. Drew, is regarding vaccines. Um, prior to COVID, there had been um, over $4.2 billion paid out in vaccine injury lawsuits in the United States. And um, since COVID has started, um, we're seeing data sets showing HIV reactivation upon vaccination, um, hepatitis C reactivation, uh, shingles reactivation. and um, it's known that those viruses are involved in a lot of different uh, inflammatory diseases. What do you think is the causal mechanism behind vaccine injury? Are you, are you well? That's a big. That's a big question. But you're talking about the COVID vaccine, right? You're talking specifically and vaccines prior, vaccinations prior. There, have, prior to COVID, there have been over 4.2 billion dollars paid out in vaccine injury lawsuits in just the United States. Right. So so, so many, uh, I will let uh, Kelly answer this as well, but of course, no medical intervention is without harm. Every time you take a Tylenol, every time you walk into a doctor's office, vaccines have the, uh, the potential to trigger some nasty reactions, transverse myelitis, various immune attacks. I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen to acute anaphylaxis. There's stuff that happens from vaccines. No one ever suggested that they are... 100% without risk. Uh, the problem that we've been discussing on this program is trying to assess the risk of COVID versus the risk of COVID vaccine and whether that risk reward in young people is something worth taking. Kelly, what do you say? Well, as you said, a very, very complex topic, but let me start with this. Um, the human immune system is the last great frontier of medicine. It's extraordinarily complex, and it doesn't always respond the way we think it will to an immune challenge, including a vaccine. There's a reason the average vaccine takes six to eight years to come to market. If it ever comes to market at all, uh, you might recall that there are a heck of a lot of viruses for which we have never created a safe and effective vaccine, including things like herpes, um, you know, norovirus, Coxsackie virus, uh, rhinovirus, uh, previous coronaviruses, and with good reason, because frequently they will appear to be effective, for example, in, in the early clinical trials. And then as time goes on, either the efficacy uh, drops off or we have adverse events that occur. Um, and those are some of the reasons that these vaccines fail before they ever come to market. 
Why have there been so many vaccine injuries? Many of them fall into the category of autoimmune related issues. When you do immune something activation. to modify or, or you know, somehow change the immune response, which is the goal, let's face it, of a vaccination is to somehow modify your immune response, cause it to create uh, antibodies, for example, that immune activation can go sideways. And it, it does. Many, many illnesses uh, that people don't think of are actually related to autoimmune disease, multiple sclerosis, Crohn's disease, psoriasis, uh, Guillain-Barre, many of these things, um, you know, not all created equal, by the way. And so there are a lot of uh, vaccine injuries related to immune issues. With regard right. to the COVID vaccines themselves, and I know I'm covering a, a lot of territory in a short period, but it, with regard to the COVID vaccines themselves, it is undeniable that there's an immune suppression that occurs as a result of these mRNA shots that when met with another pathological challenge after getting uh, injected with these shots, people do not mount the same immune response that we would have expected, which is why study after study now shows that repeated doses of these COVID vaccines put pe puts people at higher risk of contracting COVID. In other words, not only are the vaccines not effective at stopping you from contracting COVID, they actually increase your risk. They are, they are you know, uh, there's a, they go, they work the opposite way. Furthermore, you are right, we are seeing a huge increase in people having resurgence of things like outbreaks of shingles, hepatitis, uh, and certainly cancers that had been in remission. This again is a result in suppression of the immune system. And we know, for example, that IgG levels go up disproportionately after vaccination and specifically uh, a subcategory of IgG, IgG4, which is responsible for recognizing and wiping out cancer cells. So there's good reason, a good science behind um, what's happening. Unfortunately, it's suppression of the immune system can sometimes be absolutely disastrous, uh, if not deadly. And the other thing that vaccines, we, we weren't specific, I'll do a little more specific about this, is that the autoimmune attack is an accidental sort of crossing of the wire, so to speak. Your, your vaccine is directed mm -hmm. a particular protein, and lo and behold, the protein on the lining of a neuron looks the same in a given individual with a certain genetic makeup. That gets attacked. Now you have multiple sclerosis or transverse myelitis. Right. And so the, the, it's this cross-reaction that's the more dreaded piece of this. Uh, Michael, I'm going to bring you back up for a second. Can you uh, unmute yourself? Hey, Absolutely. somebody uh, on in the our chat here asked, uh, what about Niall Ferguson and the Oxford Group and their recommendations and whether, how were they involved in the whole lockdown story? <laughs> so Niall Ferguson's models, you know, he, he had those catastrophic models where he uh, put them out uh, right around the end of February 2020, saying that, you know, millions of people were going to die of this virus unless we impose these strict social distancing measures. What's, he'd been one of these evangelists for social distancing for many, many years before this. So there's no question that Neil Ferguson played a huge role in this story as one of the leading instigators of lockdowns. This is very much on the record. Um, he also, you know, he was connected to the original information that came from China with regard to this mm -hmm. virus, you know, he was actually connected to leaders of the United Kingdom 
and had direct communication with them, you know, saying, yeah, uh, you know, they actually suppressed this virus using these, uh, this lockdown in Wuhan. So he was one of the original advisors to the government of the United Kingdom who normalized that initial narrative that sent the entire world into a tailspin. Uh, the part of that story that gets played down in the mainstream that you don't often hear about is Imperial College and Neil Ferguson himself. Imperial College has the closest ties to China of any university in the Western world. I mean, just out to their neck in Chinese connections. Xi Jinping actually, in his only trip to the United Kingdom as general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party, he visited Imperial College and his one forty trip to the United Kingdom because they're that close. Uh, they get an extraordinary amount of their funding in every field. You know, Xi Jinping uh, unveiled a new collaboration plan in the fields of public health and epidemiology and, you know, lo and behold, biomedical science while he was there visiting Imperial College. Mm. So Imperial College is extraordinarily close to the Chinese Communist Party. And testament to that, a year later, Neil Ferguson told uh, the United Kingdom's largest newspaper that he uh, he actually said this in quotes, you know, um, we didn't think we could do it. We didn't think we could get away with it here, right. get away with lockdown, uh, because, you know, it's this uh, this policy that comes from, you know, one-party communist dictatorship. When Italy did it, and we realized we could. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the quotes from leaders, you know, saying very clearly this is policy that came from China, and Italy became their pretext to do it in their own countries. Wow. Right. If you ever uh, want right, if you want to know how if if you want to know, Drew, by the way, what somebody's really afraid of, whether they really are afraid of the thing that they're telling you to be afraid of, watch their own behavior. You know, I, I have spoken for, for many, many years, for decades about the dangers of motorcycles. You will never see video or photographs of me riding on a motorcycle. Um, these same people, whether it's you know, Gavin Newsom or Neil Ferguson talking about, you know, how you absolutely should not be uh, you know, congregating in public. You should not be having anyone in your home who's not a direct family member. You know, he was out cavorting with his mistress and doing all kinds of things, not wearing a mask. At the same time, he was predicting we're all going to die. Um, so if you if you want to know what somebody actually, whether they believe what they're telling or not, watch their own personal behavior. Uh, let's bring Fred up here and uh, get Fred's comments. What do you want to ask us? Oh, I th there he is. You got to unmute yourself, Fred. Well, we, it's it gets a little glitchy on Twitter Spaces sometimes. Uh, wanted to talk to Fred because he's spreading, he says in his Twitter profile, he's spreading positivity. And I thought, ah, oh, this is somebody I want to talk to. Right, he'll come <laughs> that on. That sounds good. Uh, of course. Of course. No, maybe he can be uh, on. He can be on my, you know, NF it bucket. You know, he's in my bucket list. Yeah. I, okay, that's what we need. Here is we um, positive people. This um, this is a dramatic story that we have heard on this uh, program before. I don't think Kelly, if you were here, uh, but this is uh, usually Sean's father. Is that who's uh, on the on the line here? Yes, to unmute also in a second. There's a delay. Mm -hmm. I think the Twitter, Wasn't the Twitter, you know, Vicky Mail from that that college. That yes, you said yes, that yes, yes, she is. The Imperial College of London. Mm -hmm. Well, episode. Uh, <laughs> yep. Uh, I, you know, Twitter Spaces does get a little glitchy sometimes. If you ever listen to other people's Twitter Spaces, they sometimes re reset them. They, they let them go and bring them back. Um, Sean's dad, I'm gonna. 
Well, we can talk about... Well, let me see if I can get some other people up here. Hold on here. Um, see if you can bring Michael on. I don't know. Itana. Let's see if I can get it Itana It sounded good. Here. That sounded hopeful. Sounded like somebody has just joined. There she is. She's coming up. Uh, now, what'll happen is your your Itana, your mute, your mic will mute. There it is. Now unmute it. It's weird. Hi, how are you? There can you, you hear are. me? Yes, gotcha. There we What's go. going on? Yep. Hey, Dr. Drew. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Aitana. I'm a reporter for Daily Clout, which is Dr. Naomi Wolf's website. Mm. And uh, I'm just I'm happy to chime in today because I actually just finished um, a kind of a mini investigative piece that talks about a little bit what you were talking about in terms of the more local state actors that enforced all of this stuff and the yeah. organized propaganda campaign that they ran. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so it, it's just, uh, that, you know, I'm curious to hear Mr. Singer's um, opinion about where the Rockefeller foundation, the Bill and Linda Gates foundation all fit into this because there's a lot of small little um, nonprofits like project vector and Critica science that then get, tons of funding from these huge organizations right. and they directly use that to squash misinformation, yes. define misinformation, and then label anybody who, who calls anything they disagree with. Anytime before I get Michael's comments, uh, would you do me a favor? Would you send me like, uh, uh, Naomi's top four articles on, on the effect on women's reproductive health to contact at drdrew.com. I tried to email her to get that. And, uh, I'm wondering what she uses for her strongest, uh, argument. I want to read those very carefully. Okay. You got it. Thank yeah. You. I'm assuming that's the prepare for tomorrow night. Yes. Con, uh, Michael, go ahead. Correct. So the Rockefeller Foundation, the Gates Foundation, these are both, um, you know, key players in that whole pandemic planning industry. The one that had been holding these sort of annual simulations, doing all this preparation for the pandemic that they were for some reason so excited about because, you know, philanthropists, they need something to make themselves feel important. And they also have deep, long-term connections to China. Mm. So one of the things that you might have heard about is this Rockefeller lockstep plan. And that came out around 2010. And there's a lot of disturbing elements. They're not talking about it as a positive scenario, but they're sort of entertaining the scenario where a whole pandemic happens and governments around the world uh, implement all these mandates. They assume all these new draconian emergency powers. Um, and they never relinquish them, and the entire world becomes more centralized and authoritarian uh, following this big pandemic. Uh, oddly, you know, you look at this, and so much of this is exactly what we experienced in 2020 and 2021, and that is not an accident. Does that mean, though, no, as you know, just deliberate, the uh, Rockefellers were sitting there like, you know, Montgomery Burns and planning how they were going to do this all? No, that's not what it means. And if you look at the scenario, they're not discussing it in a positive manner. But they are also working on this with China. The Chinese Communist Party was a part of this simulation, just like they were a part of Event 201, which happened at the end of 2019, where they were simulating a coronavirus pandemic just a couple of months before a coronavirus pandemic. In both cases, just these very, very uncanny similarities. You have the lockstep plan, the lockstep simulation, where they have you know a pandemic and it results in all these new emergency measures and authoritarian measures and that uh, changed the entire world, just as we saw in 2020-2021. And then you have Event 201, where the Gates Foundation was heavily involved. Um, and, you know, that a lot of that came true as well with the coronavirus pandemic. So what's going on there is that the Chinese Communist Party was involved in both of those. And so you have two things going on. So that's normalizing 
within these big philanthropic organizations that are involved in pandemic planning internationally, that's normalizing these ideas in their mind. And also, you know, normalizing their relations with China. They were big pushers for, you know, partially because they made so much money there and possibly just because they worked with China for so many years. They're, part, they're the ones who are not hawkish about China. No, 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 we can work with China's legitimate global partner. Come on, guys, treat China, you know, as you would treat any other country, which, of course, you know, we know Xi Jinping is a very ruthless dictator, most ruthless dictator that we've seen since Mao Zedong. China is very much backsliding. But these big philanthropic organizations simply by you know, forming these close relations with them, this is a key way in how the Chinese Communist Party normalizes itself internationally. So you can see how these organizations, because they have so much legitimacy, is essentially legitimacy laundering. Mm-hmm. You know, If we got these ideas, these policies directly from the Chinese Communist Party, mm-hmm. I mean, you say, hell no. Like the right. mayor of Los Angeles right. decided to shut down, said, I was going to shut down Los Angeles because you know, that's what the dictator of China did. And you know, I want to be like him. Uh, you, say, no, yeah, that's a here. distinct that's possibility, by the way, but go ahead. But the philanthropic organizations in the World Health Organization, of course, rubber stamping the policy and saying, you know, China has shown you have to do this. That gives a lot of international legitimacy. And even more than the World Health Organization, the Gates Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, they have so much legitimacy because these are smiling faces everybody trusts. You know, before COVID, Bill Gates was just like, you know, he was life goals. I mean, you know, it seemed like he was just, you know, this nice guy. If you think back to those days, his marriage was still intact. We didn't know about any of that. We didn't, you know, know about any of the horror stories or what a kind of maniac the guy was. He just seemed like, oh, he's just like this nice guy who made billions of dollars and he's trying to help people. We didn't know about any of this and his close relations. I mean, he's met with Xi Jinping so many times. I mean, he can't even count personally. I mean, he's just fascinated with the worst dictator in the world and these relationships he has with the Chinese Communist Party. I don't, you know, I don't know how deep that relationship is. There's absolutely no question that he is very, you know, disturbingly close to the Chinese Communist Party. And he played an absolutely tremendous, enormous role in normalizing this hideously totalitarian policy of lockdown. And his influence within global public health all over the world is, you know, one of the biggest roles of anyone in the world in, you know, legitimizing this policy all over the world. But it absolutely, Atano, well, is the engagement of these. It, it's the engagement of these smaller groups, though, because as Michael's saying, no one would mm. would have said, "Oh, I'm doing this because the CCP said to." It's the engagement of all, you know, the the brown shirts locally, including, by the way, one of the most insidious things I thought was the engagement of um, of religious organizations, including Catholic charities. Mm. The Vatican was very much involved. You're getting this messaging mm. from every single previously trusted source um, that's telling you mm. to do this. And if you don't do it, it's because you're not a good person, because you don't care about others, because you're self-centered, you know, th- these sort of, because you don't understand the science, when in fact, it was precisely the people who did understand the science and people who were trying to speak out uh, who were silenced and, and censored. Itana, does that that's uh, exactly what it was. Does that satisfy they you? What they did, Itana. Yeah, it's great. And if I could just add one more point, um, I would, I would, 
I would say that, uh, you know, these people, the the people in these nonprofit organizations, they're very public about what they do. And they're holding monthly Zoom meetings now that mm -hmm. they're public and they openly say, you know, uh, that we, we have to reframe conversations to to take people who have vaccine hesitancy and reframe it towards, oh, you're saving grandma. And they're still saying this right. in 2023 and it's out there on the Internet for all to see. All right, my dear. Thank you for calling us, and I look forward to that literature, okay? I know Grandma Thank wouldn't have wanted to live. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what were you going to say, Michael? You, I, we cut you off there a little bit. Yeah, I was just going to say that's exactly what it is. So for so many years, the Chinese Communist Party ingratiated itself with all these elite institutions, you know, think tanks, universities, big philanthropies like the Gates Foundation, um, and uh, newspapers and governments, and they all became gradually sort of normalized to treating the Chinese Communist Party as a legitimate global partner. So then what happened is all of a sudden in 2020, just like that, you get this blitz where all of our pre-existing science, our wealth of epidemiological knowledge developed over more than a century just gets tossed out. And what is superimposed is all these totalitarian policies that are simply taken directly from China and rubber stamped into policy and we're told that, that is the science. Follow the science. We also get this big propaganda campaign. What happens is the institutions, the leaders of them, propagandize themselves. And so they become convinced that this is real, that this really is the science. Because how could, you know, Bill Gates is saying it and the leaders of all these other institutions right. are saying it. It's all just because of the relationship they developed and normalized in the Chinese Communist Party and normalizing totalitarianism. I'm going to try again yeah. with uh, Sean. Answer for Sean. See if we can get a hook up there. I just tried J.J. Brown also. and it did. I think Michael should teach Chinese history. Well, he's certainly interested. <laughs> or politics, <laughs> politics of China. So, uh, yeah, we just cannot get uh, answers for Sean connected. He, he It's interesting. It's not, okay. oftentimes it's a screw up with the microphone, but his, for, I'm going to put you back, my friend, in the audience here. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to keep going here. Uh Okay, one second. Let's talk to Sherry here. Uh, let's see if we can get Sherry connected up. There we are. See, see, it comes it comes right in. It's just something's going on with the answers for Sean. Uh, and Sherry, your mic will mute, and then you need to unmute it, and uh, we'll be talking right to you. Okay, I there think I've are. got it on. Beautiful. All you right, do. great. Indeed. There you go. Hi. Hi, Dr. Drew and Dr. Kelly. Sherry? I'm, I, Hi. First, I just want to say I'm so really grateful for the what you all have been doing. It's just been excellent. That's right. Um, okay. I'm a theologian. And uh, I, I've always leaned left, um, but since COVID, I feel like I have no political home. And, <laughs> and I just am calling because I wanted to offer a perspective on the mRNA therapies that I haven't heard many people talk about before regarding a, a religious perspective. Mm. Um, so in looking at gene therapies, I look at them basically in the same light as genetic engineering, both to me are, you know, based on a worldview that says that there is no wisdom in nature and no divine presence in nature. And I wholly reject that worldview. I, and I fully accept evolution. So regarding genetics, I want to say that I trust God and I trust evolutionary time, not, you know, scientists who only mapped the genome a few decades ago. And it's such a hubristic and tyrannical attitude that we have toward nature. And so, you know, and I, and I see it like when, I, when people talk about the religious exemption possibilities to the, to the injections, it's always been focused on 
fetal stem cells. And, and, and that may be an issue for people who are more on the right. It's less of an issue for people like me who've been more on the left and more of a progressive theological stance. But I want to say that, you know, many like me see nature as whole and as holy and as infused with God. And so, you know, I'm, I was, you know, from the very beginning, suspicious of these technologies in the same way that I'm suspicious of genetic engineering, where they're mixing, I don't know if the plural of genus is genuses or something else, but, you know, where they're mixing genuses and, and with no regard for what that might do to the entire system, to the entire ecosystem and the cosmos. So I just want to throw that out there and well, see what you thought. You're not alone. I will tell you that. But Kelly, what? go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, Sherry, I happen to agree with you wholeheartedly. I remember I'm old enough to remember when they first cloned uh, an animal, when they cloned Dolly in the Petri dish. Uh, and yeah. I remember saying that, that we are going down a very, very dark road here. Um, we are interfering mm -hmm. with the very basis of the universe. Now, fast forward, I've said from the very beginning of the pandemic, uh, as soon as they uh, sort of rolled out the idea way before the vaccines were launched, but they said they were working on them, that much, I think, of their motivation was to make mRNA a household term to make people believe that it was something that was highly vetted, very safe, uh, and sort of a scientifically uh, a fait accompli. Uh, that is not the case. Now we know uh, if you you know talk to people like Dr. Peter McCullough, who's done a lot of research on this, that the mRNA, as you said, it is genetic engineering. It gets incorporated yeah. into the DNA, something we were told could not happen. And one of the newest concerns on the you know, really on the horizon is, is whether two people who are vaccinated, a man and woman who have been vaccinated, when they procreate, will then create a new entity, a new baby with new DNA. That child will then be coded for the spike protein, for example, in this case, because if the, both the mother and the father have it in their DNA, then the child would be conceived with. So you are talking about you know, the, these are things that are, when I said in my intro, we are in uncharted territory. That's part of what I'm talking about. We are absolutely yeah. messing with Mother Nature in a way that I think could be disastrous. And if, like me, you know, I'm a person of, of great faith, I think we are doing ungodly work. Um, I also, as just an aside, I find it fascinating that the millions of people who would never eat a genetically modified tomato were the first people to roll up their sleeves and take these shots. But uh, right. I digress. It's mind boggling. And, and, you know, I've been following a lot of alternative voices in this since, since the very beginning. And, you know, and looking at people talking about like the Great Barrington Declaration and mm -hmm. these other kind of more, more uh, commonsensical approaches to this kind of thing. And, and also someone like Dr. Zach Bush, who talks about over mm -hmm. the period of, of evolution of the species of, of humans and mammals in general, that there have been things that viruses have given us. Like he mm -hmm. claims that placenta sure. in mammals came about as a result of oh. viral injection into, into our genetic makeup. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, you mm -hmm. know, again, I prefer to trust nature in evolutionary time. And it makes me so upset this attitude we have. Sherry, I, I actually think that 
the reverence for the the DNA machinery and its extraordinary, awesome potential, I think you would find immense support amongst the scientific community for attitudes very yeah. similar to yours. I think we would disagree, like Kelly and I disagree on whether or not this there's a difference between a CRISPR technology and mRNA vaccine technologies, which do mm -hmm. they get in the genome, don't they? This is a little bit of a you know an area for disagreement, but when it comes to the awesomeness of of and the, and the sanctity mm -hmm. of what's going right. on in the nucleus of the cell, yes. a lot of scientists feel that way. I would refer you. I'm going to take this back to Michael now. The code breaker, Jennifer Dudna, Dwadna, gene editing, and the uh, it's a it's a book called The Code Breaker. It's about the woman that developed CRISPR essentially. And in that book, this is how I'm going to get back to Michael, is you will see a Chinese scientist who they, there was, you know, they, they understood the awesome potential of what they had discovered and were extremely concerned about it being used in, in just in haphazard ways or in any way for that matter. And lo and behold, a Chinese scientist went and used it to correct a metabolic problem in a, in a pair of twins. To, without and didn't seem to understand why it was an ethical or or even biological problem. Michael, am I getting that story right? Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean that's just bizarre story. It's a it's a different world over there. I mean, uh, people underestimate that at their own peril. There's entire you know so much money is being made in China by our own elites that there is just a massive incentive across all our institutions. You know, the big newspapers especially. Who you know, where does the money for uh, um, publications like the New York Times come from, it comes from our own billionaire class. And they're making a huge amount of money in their China. They're very, very heavily invested there. So they have a huge incentive to normalize China as this legitimate global partner. And so over decades, you know, all of China's human rights abuses, they're completely different, you know, ethical standards and uh, everything um, became normalized and sort of whitewashed uh, under this pretext of change through trade. And what happened is recently, uh, under Xi Jinping, this uh, fanatical communist dictator, China's experienced a rapid backslide of totalitarianism. So these billion, our own billionaires, our own um, billionaire class, is trying to protect their investments essentially by saying, no, 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 China's not that bad. Still portraying them as sort of this normal uh, global partner, even while everybody knows they can't, you know. Keep it under wraps that this China is, I mean, this country has experienced a rapid backslide and political conditions have just uh, deteriorated very rapidly. Yeah, so that's why we're getting this warped narrative, especially since COVID began, where, you know, they're telling us that, oh, no, no, China really did eliminate this virus. Their policies were really were effective. We're going to trust China and ignore these policies, which is just, just this outright lie. When you look at China's data, it's just the worst forgery I've ever seen in my life. But that is, you know, the stakes there. Uh, they can't disagree. You know, Xi Jinping insists that they have to pretend that this data is real. So, uh, you know, they're walking a tightrope there. They have to, um, you know, they can't disagree with Xi Jinping, but they also have to make this look normal and um, present it to the public here in the Western world. And that's why we've been living in this sort of false bizarre reality ever since 2020 and we'll give a shout out to the book again if you those of you didn't see what Kayla put up there it's the code breaker jennifer i'm sorry no no pronouncer it's dudna gene editing and the future of the human race and it's a great book it's a lots of good science in there and at the end you realize that this chinese scientist does not understand the ethics of altering 
the genetic material right. uh, of the mammalian species, the human in particular, and it's ugh, it's breathtaking when you really see what, what what's happening. Um, let's. Do you have anything else you want to say, Kelly? Before I go to the next caller. No, let's grab another caller. Okay, this is um, Money Penny. It looks like, and I and I, I see many of you with the hands up. I'm trying to get to. You. I apologize if we don't get to everybody. Um, see if there's another name in there other than Money Penny, Nick. Hmm. It's always hard to know what people's names are when reading their screen names. And um, <laughs> see, she's having the problem that uh, answers for Sean had, which she's not getting. I wonder if. Hmm. Hmm. You know what I'll do? I'll bring another one up. We're waiting for that. Bailey had been uh, on hold for quite some time. That sounds good. So I'll try to I can hear the little one. ding yeah. when I hear. Yeah, the Bailey one and money didn't get that. So. Okay. It's a bloop. Yeah. Bailey, uh, unmute your mic and let's hear your question. Hello. Hey there. Hey. Oh my gosh. I did not think I was going to get through. I'm unprepared, but here I am. Okay. Um, yeah. So I am just a regular person, not a blue check. Um, I'm a Canadian, um, nurse in BC and I was fired about a year ago because of the mandates. And I mean, I guess, do I have a question? I guess in, so in BC, BC is basically the California of the U S I don't know how much you know about Canada or whatever, but it, it, that's all, Canada looks all bad to us down here. It really looks like, I can see that. Like I, I always thought that we had a lot of rights and everything was going to be fine. And up until the day that I was fired, I said, there's no way this is not going to happen. It can't happen. This isn't going to happen. And it happened. And I would say that I think probably your constitution has held up a lot better than our charter of rights mm -hmm. as it stands now. Interesting, Right. Mm -hmm. And so in BC specifically, we now have something called bill 36. I don't know if you know about that. It is basically sort of what you guys been talking about. Um, California has the bill. I can't remember the number. Maybe 2098. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That, that's right. And it's basically the same thing. Um, I mean, it's, it's what's been happening anyways, but now it's put into print. This is going to be what it is. And instead of, I mean, the ones of us that have gotten fired were fired, but now it's to, like my, I still have a license cause they can fire me, but I'm still a registered nurse. Right. Mm -hmm. But so now it's, it's to do with your license. Right. So if you say anything out of line, and I know you've talked a lot about this in terms of like standards of care, like what are the standards of care? They change. Maybe they're not good now. Maybe we find out later, right? Yep. So that's what's concerning about that, um, that it will now be um, our ba license. Ba let, me, let me say one thing, and that, yeah, is, that is that that nurses should not describe themselves as ordinary people, particularly registered nurses. You are extraordinary. Yeah. Your, your status needs to be revered much more than you get in, in terms of people understanding the medical knowledge that nurses have. They need to understand that. They turn to all kinds of alternative practitioners before they go to an RN. That's crazy to me. And the fact that you have to feel marginalized in any way is just uh, just disgusting to me frankly and so but, uh you, we you know the, the kelly guy physicians like kelly and i we we couldn't survive without the baileys so thank you i i appreciate that thank you but 
Go ahead. And what I was going to say, I was going to say, Bailey, uh, don't be uh, fooled into thinking that we have not suffered this very much in the United States. Many, many healthcare practitioners yeah. were outright fired uh, for for refusing to yeah. take the vaccines, and many chose to leave of their own volition uh, because they didn't want the vaccines. Yeah. In the U.S., we've had over three hundred thousand healthcare workers. Mm. Obviously not all oh. those are physicians. It's comprised of nurses, nurse practitioner, uh, physician assistants, yeah. physical therapists, but over 300,000 people leave uh, their specialty since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, vac- or since mm. the beginning of the vaccine mandates, I should say, uh, as a mm. result of, of these yeah. mandates. Uh, and many of them, the vast majority will never return. And we're talking about a time when we have unprecedented, um, you know, lack of, of healthcare practitioners. So I think that it, it's happening all over, uh, you know, our country and obviously in Canada as well. Uh, I am hopeful at some point that we will see the kinds of change in the in the laws here, much as they did with the military, where they not only dropped the mandate, but said that people who had been fired need to be rehired or offered their jobs back if they want them oh, yes. um, with no penalty. Oh, yes. So uh, time will tell, but uh, you and, know, good, good for you for standing up for, for your own rights. Yeah, and keep an eye out for Covaxin. If you want, that's a workaround. It's a good vaccine. It doesn't have, it's not, it's an old fashioned uh, platform. And uh, it looks really good, frankly. And and I, I again, is Canada going to get it? I, I know what's the delay is in this country, but that's another workaround. Is just get the Covaxin and be done with it. The problem um, with Bailey, Covaxin, is that it for you? The, the, mm, go ahead. As I Kelly? say, the problem with Covaxin, Drew, is that many places are saying it's not good enough just to have had the initial series. You oh. have to have the most recent booster, and there is no booster oh for God. Covaxin. Yeah. So you're stuck. No, there isn't. I hate to break it to you, you are stuck getting an mRNA injection. Yeah. Um, you know, this and is that's the problem. And I'm in a different place than I was two years ago. If that had been offered to me, I was said I kept saying to my boss, like, well, when's Novavax? I was still breastfeeding at the time. And so yeah. for me to do that was I wasn't going to do it. And I kept just trying to push it back as far as I could. And I just said, you know, at that point, I might have considered it. I might have stopped breastfeeding early and I might have or I might have done other things. But at this point, I the risk benefit yeah. ratio for me, I'm. I like I'm not I don't have any risks. And as you said earlier, and I'm glad that you did, and I don't know why this is getting lost in translation, but every medication therapeutic vaccine carries some risks, oh, right? Yes. Nothing is safe and effective for everybody. And I don't know why people that know better are still saying that. Whatever the risks are, and they're different for everybody, but for me, they're they're the benefits for me getting this vaccine did not outweigh the risks. And to be forced to do, I also don't like to be bullied. And so for me, (laughs) at this point, I'm not doing it at this point. Like, I'm just like, nope, the science is out. We can see it. Here it is. Let me, I'd love to go back to work. I would love to help my community. There's thousands of us. They're just sitting here waiting to be let back in. You'll get there. They need need you. Don't, don't uh, keep reading, keep thinking. You'll, you'll get back to it. Thanks, Bailey. I I hope so. Thanks you guys. Bye. Michael, we got to wrap things up here. Any last comments before we do so? I'm so glad you joined us with uh, Kelly so she could hear some of your thoughts as well. Thank you so much, Drew. Um, No, I mean, the big takeaway, you know, just check out my book for more information. I mean, the big takeaway here, this this story is just right there underneath the surface. And it's maddening because 
our own billionaire class is doing everything in their power to keep people from knowing about it, mm-hmm. to keep out of the mainstream discourse. You know, they will not acknowledge any of these stories. They will not acknowledge my book. Instead, they just censor me mm-hmm. to keep it out of that discourse on completely <laughs> pretextual reasons. They won't even engage with it. You know, that would be totally fine. It would be perfectly within the right to write just a scathing review that they hated everything about it, that, oh, you know, poke some holes here mm-hmm. and there, miss that point and that point. That is a perfectly legitimate response if you dislike a book. Mm-hmm. But that is not what's going on. This is a cover-up. Everything that we've experienced over the last three years is a cover-up of the massive influence, the massive and deliberate influence that the Chinese Communist Party had on that initial response, especially the initial lockdowns, but all the policies, how they were initially implemented, and how extraordinarily catastrophic and futile all those policies were and the massive damage that we're still dealing with today, both psychological, um, economic, mental, and physical. Well, Michael, thank you. Kelly, last words? No, I, I really appreciate the conversation. Thanks for joining us uh, yeah. again today, Michael. Interesting. Uh, I, 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 I'm looking forward to actually reading your book uh, as, as well. As I said, I've spent quite a bit of time in China, have a lot of experience with their healthcare system in particular. Um, and I've said from the very beginning, uh, there are two, two rules about uh, dealing with or understanding the data coming out of China. And one is you cannot trust any data coming out of China. And uh, number two, there is <laughs> no right. exception to rule number one. So look at what reading your book. Exactly. So that's what well, we love about Kelly. Thank you so much. Uh, apologize. Thank you, Michael. Apologize for people that I did not get to with their hands up. We, we will take more calls as we go along here. We'll try to do it every show. And uh, I'll be in here tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Dr. Great Kelly convo. will be back next uh, Wednesday at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock, Susan, is that correct? Next Wednesday? Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was, that's that's a normal week coming up. Am I getting that right? There's mm-hmm. been a lot of moving around yeah, of shows right. coming up. No, here. you're right. Uh, oh, we Sasha. might. No, there might be a Monday show. There might be a Monday show instead of a Tuesday show next no, week. No, it's so Monday keep... next week. It's yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. See, that's a difference. Then, <laughs> but go. Kelly will be here on Wednesday, and I'll be in here tomorrow with Vicky Mail at three three o'clock Pacific time. We'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Thank Martha. you. Susan. Bye. Cheers. Ta-ta. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Yeah.